what I've learned connecting with elders um, is how in-depth the knowledge of every piece of the systems are like when to hunt, what flowers or birds coming to a particular tree means, only taking what you need, uh, propagating as you go so there's enough food for all. Today on Dirty Linen, we are wrapping up a series that I've just enjoyed so much. I think it's so important to highlight diversity and difference in food. So I am thrilled to be concluding our series that celebrates new voices on food, the Diversity in Food Media publication edited by Lee Tran Lam with today's chat with Chris Jordan from Three Little Birds in Brisbane. Chris, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. I'd just like to start by acknowledging the Turrbal and Yuggera peoples as traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging who strive to build a better and more sustainable future for generations to come and whose ancient knowledge and respect for country will be the driving force in solving many modern issues we face today. Thank you. And I'd like to acknowledge that I'm recording today on Bunurung land and I pay my respects to elders past and present and really try to carry that knowledge, that respect and that acknowledgement with me um, as I go through my days. Um, Chris, thank you for being here. Tell us about Three Little Birds. What is it? Yeah, so Three Little Birds is a catering and events uh, business that I set up. I was um, working in kitchens um, and working with native ingredients and working with some chefs um, who were using native ingredients and I didn't see any other Indigenous people in the kitchen. Uh, so I decided to set up my own business and... Uh, we use native ingredients and ancient knowledge that I've um, been lucky enough to be passed down from my mentor, Arnie Dale Chapman. And um, in setting up the business, we've uh, employed uh, three young Indigenous apprentices and uh, it's yeah just really something important uh, passing that knowledge down and having that um, holistic approach when using native ingredients. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I mean, what's tell us about your um, indigenous, uh, yeah, background, heritage, present. Yeah, so um, it's something in my family that we've already always uh, talked about, and sadly, it's been connected to. Um, shame and negativity, uh, but it's something that um, my family are become proud of and it's something that's now been celebrated. Um, I think that was partly to working with Annie Dale Chapman, who's been in the industry for 30 years and I guess seen the positive uh, outcomes from, you know, my reconnection and also being able to take uh, some of that home. Um, I taught my mum how to weave baskets when she was going through a really rough time with her knee reconstruction. And it's something that was really uh, healing um, 
and something that's like really important to her now. Wow, that's so powerful, Chris. I think, you know, so many non-Indigenous Australians look to First Nations people to to share knowledge, but, you know, what has to also be grappled with is the, you know, the devastating impacts of colonisation and the dislocation that's come as a result. And I think, you know, your story in New Voices on Food speaks so eloquently and powerfully to this reclamation um, and this, I guess, this re-engagement, this, you know, recovery of, of this knowledge. And, I mean, what a beautiful, yeah, what a beautiful uh, image of you teaching your mum. Wow, that's just, yeah, bringing me to tears. Yeah, it was, it was really amazing. Um, and now she's been able to teach my little sisters and my niece. Um, yeah, she actually makes really, really amazing baskets. She's really good. That's great. So, I mean, Auntie Dale Chapman's an enormous figure um, in Australian Aboriginal culture. And I know her work through My Dilly Bag, which um, looks at uh, working with Aboriginal communities that grow and and harvest food and also a lot of stuff with artisans and other creators. I mean, tell us about your connection with her how how was how has she been important to you in your food journey yeah i need dale's um kind of like a, a second mum to me like i i really can't explain the connection we first met my mum bought her cookbook for me and i um I was in, I came to Brisbane and I sent her an email and I was like, hey, like, I just want to come and like work for you for free. And um, I just want to learn. And she was like, we're actually really busy. We can need a, we need a chef. Can you like come in tomorrow? And like from the second day, I remember another staff member seeing us two interact. And she's like, how, how would have you known each other for? I was like, oh, we just met yesterday. But it was like an instant kind of um, connection. And, yeah, she's really helped me through a lot of tough times. And uh, she's someone that I I call when I'm going through um, some stuff. But, yeah, I, I really I can't thank her enough for the, the wealth of knowledge that she's passed down. I mean, she's 30 years um, in the business and – She's just so eager to, you know, um, let other young Indigenous chefs and, you know, creators, um, you know, succeed in the space. She's really paved the way um, for a lot of um, new Indigenous entrepreneurs. Mm. And, Chris, I know that um, Three Little Birds does a lot of work with kids. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we started working um, with Kapibunda Kitchen. Um, Kapibunda is the Yagra word for Lamandra, and that was gifted to the project by Gaja Kerry, uh, who's a Yagra elder. And it is, uh, it's an amazing initiative. It's, it's a catering business that is inside um, Waco Correctional, and the curriculum of teaching the kids hospitality um, and cooking with native ingredients are actual orders that go out to um, clients like the State Library and 
um, a lot of uh, elders' lunches, and uh, it's a really it's a really amazing way to teach. I've never seen hospitality taught in that way, where they're actual orders and it's actual applicable. Um, uh, situations, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so amazing. So, what are some of the? Yeah, tell us, tell us, like, take us in there. You know, what might be happening? What might you be making? And and what's it? What is it like engaging with these kids around this? Um. So yeah, three little birds and couple in the kitchen. We um, collaborate on a lot of events. So we could be doing um, any number of things in there with the kids. Um, sadly, some of the the youngest kids we've had were like 13 in there. Um, so it, it is a very um, emotional um, space. Um, we get uh, four young fellas at a time and – yeah, it's, it's just like a, a normal kitchen. Uh, sometimes we play some music and um, we start prepping the orders. We go through um, some ingredients, like do some tastings. And um, it's, it's more about like having fun and like there's no, um, I guess, KPIs. Like engagement is like the key. So if we see, um, you know, these young young kids engaging and you know, um, just excited about something, it's it's a real win for us, I guess. Mm. I mean, we know that um, Aboriginal people and Aboriginal youth are like like disgustingly overrepresented overrepresented in in detention and yeah, correctional facilities such as the one you're working in. I mean. You know, if you had like a audacious goal around this, what would you, what would, what might you see as an outcome um, from one of the kids engaging with what you do? Yeah. So from the beginning, we've tried to create uh, employment pathways. Um, There are a number of barriers that exist within the system, um, and. we have been successful with young one fella who has uh, come on as an apprentice with us. Wow. Um, which, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Um, like, yeah, I can't, I just can't tell you how excited I was and then how kind of proud I am of you know, how he's working. And I mean, like the odds are stacked like so heavily against you um and to see like this one kind of uh glimmer of hope has just been amazing yeah that must be so yeah just so incredibly satisfying oh yeah definitely chris tell us about the piece that you wrote for new voices on food volume two how how did that come about and and how did you decide what to write yeah, so I first met uh, Lee Tren Lam, um, I think last year. I was doing this feast at uh, Bleach Festival and um, she interviewed me and we talked about um, 
the concept for the menu and uh, started to talk about myself. And we've kind of stayed in touch ever since. And um, she, yeah, just called up. We had maybe a two hour conversation on the phone and that was it, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) And how did you decide, you know, which parts of your story were important to share in this piece? Uh, It just kind of came out naturally. Um, We obviously edited and went through things afterwards, but it was just, um, yeah, it was really just, yeah, two people having a conversation. Uh, And I really wanted to make sure that uh, my apprentice Otis was included because it was about, um, you know, the next generation of chefs. And um, I think his story as well is very important. And, um, you know, giving young people this space to tell their own story as well is is very important. Mm. You talk about um, the way that you bring Indigenous foods into um, into this scenario and I love this bit where you say, um, we're always using Indigenous foods. I like watching them try a Davidson plum for the first time. I usually go, do you guys like sour warhead lollies? And they're like, it can't be that sour. I really enjoy that sour wake up. It takes over your body, but not everyone's into that. Um And then you go on to talk about lemon myrtle and you say, hey, smell this or take in a whole fish and we'll fill it and skin it and we'll do half of it raw and half of it cooked. It's, yeah, you you say you're there to connect and be understanding of mood and past trauma and leave any judgment behind. It just sounds like such a rich um, forum for sharing and I guess, you know, finding connection and belonging. It must, is it, do you find that you get as much out of it as hopefully the the kids do? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And that's kind of what it is. You kind of just feel it out. Um, and I mean, Davidson plums are as sour as warheads. So I need to prepare the kids. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just that engaging or, um, just doing something that they've never done before or even telling them that they're doing a good job. I mean, some, some kids get in there and we're rolling, you know, filo pastry and like, they're really good. And I don't think like they've been told that they've been doing a good job and uh, praise is something, you know, that they're not used to. Um, and yeah, you, you don't know what's going on in their heads or so it's, it's, you just kind of go with it and um, feel the room and try to get a smile. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, there, there is a surge in interest in Australian ingredients in, I'd say, in, you know, all areas of the food industry. But what do you, what would you like non-Aboriginal people to keep in mind? Um I think what I've learnt in um, connecting with elders um, is how in-depth the knowledge of every piece of the systems are, like when to hunt, what flowers or birds coming to a particular tree means, only taking what you need, uh, propagating as you go so there's enough food for all. Um, All this knowledge 
if if you're not buying from a First Nations business, if if countries have been looked after, I mean, First Nation peoples only make up one to two percent of the industry. So I think it's really important to go to uh, the source and where the knowledge is um, and using those supply chains. And I mean, supporting First Nations businesses is the easiest way to, to help create jobs and close those gaps of unemployment as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's paramount to go through either local mob or um, Indigenous businesses when exploring or uh, going down the avenue of using these amazing ingredients. Mm, yeah, love that. Um, and Chris, tell us some of the dishes that you're loving cooking at the moment. Yes, yeah, so we've just uh, finished an amazing event at Goma on the weekend. And this was a, a lunch we were invited to do, which I... Um, which was inspired by two real pillars in the Indigenous community, uh, Gaja Kerry and her work with Kapibunda Kitchen, but also Ani Rose Elu, who's a Torres Strait um, elder, and she's been advocating for climate change for decades. Um, and um, it was a four-course um, lunch that was split into past present and future. So the past was uh, a dish that I created for Ani Rose Elu, and it was inspired um, by her talking about her connection to country and how the germination of the coconut is what her umbilical cord is rooting down into the island, into country. Uh, so we served uh, this beautiful uh, Namus, which is a raw fish dish uh, from the islands with some smoked young coconut and a curry myrtle sorbet. That sounds amazing <laughs> and so resonant. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, it's something that, I mean, I've always been in awe of Annie Rose. Like she just got back from COP27 in Egypt. Um, she's, yeah, she's an amazing, amazing uh, auntie. Um, and then we went into the present. So there were two monochromatic uh, dishes, one black, one white, and they were how um, the ocean is seen as a resources present. So it was kind of oil and gas and it had seawater uh, smoking out from underneath it. And it was um, some black squid ink cuttlefish with a nice myrtle, mountain pepper, wattle seed, and I'd made a pandanus vinegar. And then the other one was was representing uh, bleached coral. So we had um, these white uh, tapioca fish crisps made from the stock. We made a smoked roe taramasalada um, and some crystal bread I think we had on there as well. Wow. What's crystal bread? Crystal bread is um, it is a kuzu, like hollow, clear bread. Um, it's actually one of uh, El Bulli's recipes that we've used in there. Yeah. Fancy. A little bit fancy. We keep it a little bit fancy. 
Um, but yeah, just telling the story and um, yeah, uh, echoing the voices of um, you know staunch elders in the community. Wow, it's just yeah, it just sounds so rich and sounds delicious. But I just love dishes with yeah, such an incredible backstory and resonance. And yeah, it sounds like it would have been a very thought provoking meal as well and yeah very exciting um chris i really have loved this chat it's um yeah learned so much from you and um really applaud what you're doing uh just it's so exciting to think about these um people like otis who are able to yeah just be on a really wonderful path um due to to the work that you're doing so yeah well done yeah, Otis works harder than anyone. He's he's juggling a degree in IT, a chef apprenticeship, he plays football. He's a he's a machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like he's a future podcast guest as well, so we've got to oh, stay 100%. in touch. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Let's do that. But in the meantime, um, thank you so much for yeah being part of my series on new voices on food volume two. Um, just a, such a such a great book and all the richer for your contribution. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This